0: Well, welcome back to the From Many People's Strength podcast. I'm Jamie Neugebauer, along with Matt Gourley. It is Thursday, September 9th, the day after Canada recorded its first victory of the uh octagonal world cup qualifying final round on the road to qatar 2022 uh as they manhandled el salvador uh by a a score of three to nil and matt will jump right in you're in toronto i'm in regina uh saskatchewan you're coming home i think tomorrow you said uh but uh, I, before we get into the game, I want to get into the sort of the hot topic of the moment, uh, and that is that you know the comments specifically from Milan Borian post game that it was there's too much blue in the in the stands and they want to see red, and you know sort of paid a little bit of lip service maybe to the Voyagers. Maybe I misinterpreted what he was saying, um, and I'm sure there's some frustration, of course, from Canadian players when they go on the road and it's a sea of blue or whatever, and then they come home and there's, you know, all sorts of El Salvadorians uh, or Hondurans or Costa Ricans or whatever. Um, You know, short of of sort of demanding, uh, you know, (laughs) who are you going to cheer for? (laughs) You know, you can't do that. because probably these El Salvadorians or Canadian El Salvadorians living in Toronto or wherever. So what can you do? Right. But uh, I guess maybe you could tell me from somebody who was in the stadium, um, you know, uh, how, you know, was there an imbalance of noise? Uh, what was the atmosphere like with regards to who was cheering for whom?
1: Uh, it's tough to really say what the, the noise level is like, obviously, um, I was in the South End as I typically am, which is, uh, if you're unaware where the Voyagers are and it's an all Canadian section. So from that perspective, you hear yourselves a lot and, uh, obviously falling behind as they did the, the El Salvador fans were, were difficult to hear. Um, there was, there was times when they kind of amped up the noise, but uh, you certainly during their anthem, you really felt them. And uh, I was at the stadium fairly early, and Liberty Village was very pro-Canadian, lots of fans there. But as soon as you got onto the uh, exhibition grounds, it was just blue everywhere. They'd been there all day, tailgating and drinking and <coughs> barbecuing and singing songs. And so it was, as soon as they got close to the stadium, you knew there was going to be a really hot, Healthy portions of uh, a blue there. I have heard people say that um, it was a pro El Salvador crowd. I don't know if that really um, is accurate. I think it was probably, you know, in that 60 40 range, maybe. It was tough to tell. Uh, obviously, there's seats of red, which skews things a little bit. Um, the, one of the problems was, as I mentioned, the El Salvador fans were there um, really early, so they got in early. Uh, and that, my understanding was. Uh, it was a pretty big bottleneck to bring into the stadium with the slightly earlier kickoff, and there only being an hour to let people in the stadium with some heightened code protocols. So uh, kickoff, I feel like a lot of the, the Canadian, pro-Canadian fans had, uh, hadn't had necessarily been in the stadium yet. But, uh, you know, I think all in all, we've we've been in stadiums where there's been a lot of, people. Um, you know, teams in Canada where a lot of people have been cheering for the opposition, and there was a bit of animosity in that situation. I think the El Salvador fans were fantastic last night. Uh full credit to them for coming out and supporting their side. They did so in a positive way. They were uh very, very friendly and gracious uh before the match and also at the end of the match. So that was refreshing to see because it hasn't always been the case. Uh when talking about how do we fix this or how do we change it, um I think if If the El Salvador match will tell where the Panama match is going to fall, I think it would be a different situation um, somewhat. Because, you know, these tickets didn't sell out in an instant. It took, you know, weeks for them to sell out. And it didn't feel like there was much buzz about the qualifying cycle initially. You know, things took a little while to sell. But as soon as, you know, that first match happened, there's a little bit more buzz. And then the result against the US, and suddenly you're seeing people trying to, scalp tickets for hundreds of dollars i had three different people ask me if i had any extra to to sell the scalp so i think there's a lot of interest from casual people who would love to have gone and i think you know the el salvador fans snap up the tickets right away because they know they're going to go and it's a big priority for the fans. i think we're less keen to to get tickets instantly or less aware potentially of casual local fans so i think the 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 uh, bandwagon's filling up and I think people are excited. I mean, you know, I, obviously Canada doesn't travel the way El Salvador does. El Salvador's got a huge population, both you know, obviously the Toronto's huge population, pretty much anything, but you know, uh the northeastern part of the US has got huge El Salvador population. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were some significant numbers that the border as well. Mm-hmm. But I think the on that, you will see a lot of Canadians, um, obviously. I think that'll sell quite quickly.
0: Yeah, I mean, we hope so. And, you know, and what I also will say, and I was obviously there for the Honduras match is the Hondurans as well were nothing but gracious, even though I saw plenty of blue Hondurans too, if you think about it outside of the supporter section. Um, And to your point, got to reiterate it. Um, You know, this this is the thing for them. This is what matters. Their national team, uh and you know the the sport of soccer is what matters whereas a canadian person be you know might be a a, a lot of canadian people you know outside of our sort of soccer circle are uh, hockey people or football people or or whatever what have you and may, oh it would be might be a nice event it might, might be a nice out to see canada kind of thing outside of the supporters section so it's just sort of a different mentality but you know i i agree with you i think you know the the thing that i would say to borian if i were to see him in person or to any of the players and and certainly they've they've put their money where their mouth is by performing and showing up and playing well uh and doing well you know in their clubs to 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 be sharp for Canada uh you know is that you need to keep putting up results and you need to keep winning because I saw somebody kind of compare uh, you know, TFC and and soccer just in general to kind of the Raptors and the Raptors, I think, were pretty niche and pretty, um, you know, sort of shoved to the side while they were poor. And then, you know, when things start to go well, it, momentum builds and builds into a wave. And now it's just, of course, the Raptors are are beloved in Toronto. So it's kind of the same thing. And, and uh, you know, if they win, if they do well, if there's, you know, they keep this momentum going, I think it, it will happen. Anyways, we got to move on to the game. Uh, itself and uh, you know, watching from home, uh, it looked like uh, I nothing's inevitable in this world, obviously, not in CONCACAF, especially. Uh, but uh, you know, pretty quickly, it, it seemed like the Canadians were on a mission to start the game, like they, you know, sort of like the second half that they played against Honduras, and um, you know, sort of almost even how they ended the game against the USA, where it felt like if one country, one team was going to win, it was going to be Canada in Nashville against the Americans. Uh, It looked like, you know, they were going to do that against, uh, you know, I think what was clearly a tired, uh, you know, kind of weary El Salvador team. And we talked about in the last podcast that El Salvadorians had not rotated and, you know, definitely don't have the depth and say what you want about how well they've played um you know what they did to get the nil nil but they seemed weary and it seemed like the canadians were the opposite um you can tell me what you felt like from the jump but obviously two nil within 11 minutes uh, certainly helps for canada yeah um
1: going into the match uh i know some people were feeling like you know salvers may be a bit on the rise and I got you've got a lot of respect to to we've integrated the new players really well um They've also been able to play at a high tempo and make it really difficult. They work incredibly hard. But as you say, you know, when you're playing a third match in a, in a week, basically it's just tough to do that. And the one the thing they do like to do is play out of the back. And so, you know, as much as they've played well on the back, with you know, Zavaleta and Rodriguez and Oriana sort of being the three focal points, you know, Canada's just able to really press them and force them into problems and, uh, um, you know they did try to rotate the squad a little bit. Uh, Duenas, the uh, the Dutch El Salvador player who plays, uh, I think he's on the books that he tests but is on loan somewhere in the lower divisions in, in the Netherlands. He's 20 year old. He made his debut, and you know he was going to top the ball up to uh, Osario and then got kind of lost in that nice little pass and sequence of box that sort of ended up finding Richie at the side where he beat out of the cross to Hutchinson, but. You know that uh, it was just a little bit of an experience from a young guy who probably wouldn't be their first choice to be in that world they probably would have wanted to and surrender to be flying there but you know a loose ball and then the back in that quite quickly. Um, as you said they came out in press really well which obviously is obviously what you want. You want to be in the front foot and try and put the game away early but you know how we times have we in Canada kind of come out well and take the game to an opposition and then not get that goal. Um, mm-hmm. So, for a team to finish that chance, and then for, I mean, that was a clinical header by Jonathan David to uh, to pick that far corner uh, off a yeah. of set-piece, which we haven't had great set-pieces, you know, for more than a year now. So, to get a set-piece goal in the second phase, uh, you know, that knockdown by Vittori at the back post ended up kind of creating that goal a little bit. Don't want to take anything away from Buchanan and David, but uh, yeah, jump up 2 nil, It's a dream scenario because... I mean, El Salvador Douglas only at qualifying. So um it looked dangerous at times. And I thought the um the level of the pressing and the intensity from the Canadian side dipped a little bit after maybe 20, 25 minutes. I think that's a little bit of tired lights, but also maybe a little bit of the spark effect. But yeah, I mean it was a perfect start. And then after that, they were able to kind of manage things. And as much as I thought the, uh, the intensity dipped a little bit and the uh um, I guess just the the, the energy level midfield dipped, you know, dipped a little bit. They came up great so the like second half. We kind of had renewed vigor and uh renewed purpose and really pretty happy with how they uh they came out to that second half and obviously were rewarded with that third goal.
0: Yeah, and you know, again, kudos also kudos to Tejan Buchanan, who I think showed incredible technique on the goal to, 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 to take it down and, and find himself some space and, and then put it to, to David. And obviously that is a high, high-level uh, clinical finish from a, a man in form playing at a very high level as well because there was some some pace on that ball from Tejan, uh, driven ball across in the 11th minute, and David just ma- a magical finish. Um, but, I, you know, for a second, I do want to go kind of go back to that Atiba goal in the sixth minute. Cause that, you know, that has also sparked another story out of this. And, and maybe there's some disagreement among the Voyagers, especially you know on the Facebook chat and you know, on social media um, is that, uh, you know, there was a ball through to, to Richie Larea and he worked and I mean, worked as uh, Zavaleta, Eric Zavaleta. And then on the Tejon's goal in the 59th minute, it was Eric Zavaleta, who turned the ball over to Jonathan David in the first place? That created the you know the turnover and the goal that sort of came quickly after, on a neat finish from uh, from Tejon. But uh, you know, for those who don't know, Eric Savaleta. A, uh, m- uh, I don't know how you word it, polarizing, malign. <laughs> uh, I don't know how you want to, how exactly people should word it in a, in a professional way. In a, in, a, in a blunt way, people think he's awful on, t- you know, TFC supporters. Um, you know, we're going to be professional and, and say he's maligned or, or polarizing. Um, but, uh, he was, you know, he's, his, uh, his dad uh, is El Salvadorian. So he played for, plays for El Salvador and captained the El Salvador team in his home stadium where he plays for TFC. And, uh, you know, one of the news, out of the, one of the stories out of the game was how much the fans, the, the Voyagers, uh, were all over him all game. And, and, uh, apparently he looked back and kind of smiled and or snickered or something at the boys you're just thinking it was kind of all in a in good jest and a joke or maybe he was just you know taking being in good spirits and he knew exactly what was going on uh, either way we can't go inside of his head um but what was your feeling about the way that uh El- that evaleta specifically got treated uh by the canadian fans at the game
1: well i've seen people say that they felt like he was kind of laughing with them and i did not take that at all um right at the start of the- and then it- with him defending in front of the south end in the uh, in the second half was really what I noticed in The first half I didn't really feel like there was that much you know going on, but once he was in front of us in the second half, he noticed it right away. And he had a bad touch almost right sort of the second half. We kind of missed touch the ball. He was going to play it back, and then realized he probably couldn't play it back to keeper anymore, and kind of had to rush it clear. And there was sort of a you know a reaction about the missed touch. And he looked back at the crowd for a quick second. But then, you know, within a minute later, he just completely missed it a clearance. And went off the side of his boot was straight up for a throw. And everyone sort of, you know, that noise that they make when he miss hit something. And he looked and he just had this sort of like shrug and a furrowed brow. Like, really? What? You guys are like, getting on me? Like, he was sort of, su- he looked surprised. Mm-hmm. And just the look on his face, both uh, me and the two people beside me were just sort of like, Wow, that you know, was a really transparent reaction from someone who's been around the block more than a few times. It just was sort of, I was like, he's, you know, <laughs> the supporters are in his head. It seemed pretty clear that yeah. he was, and I mean, I don't think he was rattled by any means, but I think he was just sort of like a little surprised that they were getting on him. And from that point hmm. on, he basically got booed anytime he hit the ball, which I thought, I don't know. I think that was a chance for some TFC fans to, to show a little bit of frustration, potentially, or just... It's mostly for he's the guy they know, maybe that's why he got singled out. Um, uh-huh. I'm not a TFC supporter, so I don't, you know, it doesn't matter to me on the one hand, but the other hand, I also didn't really boo him because, I mean, what's the difference between him and the other central defender to me? Not much. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the both of them, at least because he was the player they knew, they decided they were going to jeer him harder, but I'm sure he took it all in stride, but, you know, it's a little weird to, uh, hmm especially if you're a TFC fan to kind of ride the only guy on this team that is your player and not literally anyone else, but, um, I, I, I was that a factor in him laying the ball off and having a sort of under hit square ball that Johnny and David picked off. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. He doesn't always need an excuse to under a square ball, but,
0: uh,
1: yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I felt like he was, uh, He was a little surprised that he was getting, uh, getting it from the south end. And, uh, so yeah, it was interesting. I, uh, it certainly, uh, it's something that picked up and ratcheted up as the second half went war on. Uh Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. It was certainly clear from, uh, from home, even on the broadcast (laughs) that that's what was happening. And obviously Wheeler and Dunfield didn't mention it and why would they, but uh, it was really clear, um, You know, at home, uh, Wheeler and Dunfield, the two broadcasters, by the way, I should mention, I am a TFC supporter, I'll be honest. And, um, you know, I don't blame him for the fact that, you know, his contract is probably one that is team friendly on a team that is very, very, you know, not very deep, I guess we'll say at center back and uh, is right up against the cap. Uh, is he, is he uh, a MLS-caliber defender, centre-back? Uh, you know, I don't think so, but, um, you know, he fits in the framework and they know him. And, uh, you know, the fact that he was, uh, you know, the old, the, the last manager's nephew, uh, you know, certainly hasn't uh, played into his hands in terms of getting love from the TFC supporters. And a lot of mistakes have uh, you know, rightly and or wrongly, gone. Uh, you know, at his feet, and um, you know, certainly, uh, a rising tide raises all boats. And so, the 2017 people say, in the 2017 version of Zavaleta was 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 good and solid. And and then, you know, I guess the opposite, the the lowering of tides lowers all boats, I suppose. And then, uh, so you know, I already kind of questionable guy in a lot of people's minds continues to get lower. So. Uh yeah, do, you know, so I, I understand from TFC's perspective why they keep them. Um, I uh, you know, I wish that their cap situation was such that they could afford to vastly improve and and you know redo it all. But this isn't a TFC podcast, but um, so it, it is what it is. But uh, you know, I, I appreciate your perspective for sure. And I,
1: I wish the camera could caught the look on his face when uh, he kind of looked back at the stands because it was pretty priceless. It was, uh, it's pretty rare to get that kind of reaction out of a professional player. I mean, you hear fans, you know, get on people and yell at goalkeepers all the time, and I always sort of think, you know, what's the point of this? Like, you know, you think these guys haven't heard literally everything that's possible so you can say to a keeper? Yeah. So you could get, get in their heads, but it kind of worked last night, I think, a little bit. So, um, yeah. I will say, you know having seen the U.S. absolutely destroy uh, El Salvador a Friendly, in which Ayahuacanola actually scored, which was, I don't know, uh, a little bit more than a year ago. It was 4-0 after almost 20 minutes, and it could have been 10. It's not laid off, but, you know, Zavaletta has improved that back line since coming to that group. That you know, seeing that back line without him, um, you know, as much as he may be, a marginal MLS starter at best. He uh, he is an upgrade for, for El Salvador. Yeah. He didn't play great last night, but he has played relatively mm-hmm. easily for them. And, you know, I, it's not a an accident. He had the captain's arm bed last night. It wasn't it was a gift because he was playing at, a, at his home club. Um, you know, he's, he's become a good player for them and I would assume a bit of a leader. You he mentioned his father. His father was an El Salvador international as well. So mm-hmm. there is uh, yeah. obviously a bit of pride there playing for them.
0: And Hugo Perez, the El Salvador manager, who's actually American, um, isn't dumb. <laughs> so it's not like he just, you know, gave him the armband by default. You know, he's, his letter was added to this El Salvador team not that long ago. So clearly he's, he's made positive impacts inside and outside the El Salvador locker room. So um, got to give him credit. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people bashing him non-stop these days, but I'll give, I'll give Zavala the credit.
1: I'm going to give Hugo Perez credit. I mean, yeah. I don't think he has a ton to work with for being honest, but I think he's done a very good job with this group. And I mean, yeah. they're pretty limited in going in that kind of, they were kind of my pick to maybe finish last, past, or certainly close to it. That might still be how it goes. Obviously, two home matches and, and two points isn't a great start for them, but you know, they they picked up a draw at home against the U.S. and on the risk two pretty good sides. So, yeah. you know, they're 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 they have been, been a tough out. Obviously, they, that wasn't the case last night. But you, you know, as like you said, they are you know, a retired team, and that doesn't help anything. So, um, yeah. you know, it's a uh, it's a tough task when they they don't have a lot of depth. And you know, you look at the guys playing El Salvador and the USL, a couple of MLS players. It's just not a real. Um, deep or impressive squad on paper, but they they play hard. They play well for a few good Perez, so I think he's doing a really good job with this group.
0: Yeah, definitely hard. Hard is a way to put it. Uh, dirty uh, hacking hatchet <laughs> job is another way to maybe put it. And if you can get away with that, if you can live on that line, it can it can definitely make a a team play, you know, get about, get results above the, the sum of its parts. And, uh, you know, that, that's what El Salvador does. They, they jump on you, they kick you, they will do whatever it takes. And, uh, you know, but you need a motivator to motivate them to do that and, and give them kudos. I think Alexander Lorien was the the man in the middle of it all, especially the first half until he was subbed when probably Hugo Perez is like, well, if I keep this kid in here, he probably gets a red card. So, um, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe could have already, but he, uh, he, was, he was playing along the line. You talked about Oriana in our preview, but he also loves the hatchet job. He stayed 90 minutes in and didn't even get a card. The referee clearly was was uh, lenient but uh fair enough el salvador does play hard and they they will do whatever they will bite you if that's what it takes um but we gotta move on uh i want to talk about a little bit of the other concacaf results uh and you know obviously there's plenty of american media and they are all uh it, it rapturously uh you know i don't know if they're breathing sighs of relief but they're praising greg burhalter now and they're obviously praising young ricardo Pepe. and uh, obviously i thought if i was a usa fan i would have liked to see him against canada uh in the second half not not just you know when it's absolute desperation time you know down 1-0 at half in honduras facing a what would have been a very tough uh uh, opening window if they didn't figure it out, find a way in the second half the Americans to beat Honduras four to one in San Pedro Sula. But that all being said, we have to give this American team all sorts of kudos for you know, bulldozing Honduras in Honduras. That's nobody does that, right? No, and and something Christian Jack tweeted is that's only the third time
1: since 2002 that it's this round of qualifying, whether it's the X and now the the octo that uh teams trailed at halftime on the road and come back to win. So it doesn't happen often. And then just score four second half rules to make it happen is, it's pretty impressive and pretty unprecedented. And you start digging into, you know, while well, there's no McKenney, there's no Reina, there's no, you know, Pulisic was hundred percent, you know, all the players are missing. So um, got to give them some credit for, for a, a, a way to get it done. And it was, you know, 18-year-old Ricardo Pepe scoring a goal and Aaronson scoring. So, you know, it was not necessarily your obvious guys, but uh, as much as I think Berhalter kind of got things wrong to start with, he certainly figured out what to do at halftime and made a bunch of subs. We talked about him not making um, early subs against Canada, but he, uh, he was forced to, I think, basically last night and, and made the right changes. And, I, you know, I'm surprised because I think Honduras rotated their squad more than anyone else. But I think, you know, watching the last 20 minutes or so, they had just absolutely nothing left to punch back after falling behind 2-1. And that might be a bit of a just a mental fatigue thing. I mean, you're up at home, you're feeling like you have 45 minutes to really have a great start to your cycle. And then now you're behind and try to dig deep, deep to find a way to get that goal back. And they, just, mm. they just fell apart. I mean, Andy Har was playing great and then just really struggled late. They uh, they subbed off the other central defender and it looked like um, like Figueroa was really laboring up there. So I just think the legs went on them a little bit with uh, the congested schedule. but That's even with Figueroa and Nahar getting rested against El Salvador. So, you know, it's it's tough. You know, it's something that's going to have to be considered a lot as we move forward is those three-match windows are hard. Um, Canada didn't rotate the squad as much as I think some of us thought we, they would. Um, they played a lot of guys, a lot of minutes, so we'll see if they can keep doing that. I think there's benefits to trying to keep everyone fresh because we, you know, those those fresher US legs seem to be a, a big factor in how that, how that uh, second half played out as well.
0: Yeah, and you know the Americans, uh, you know, there, there's there's a freshness that comes from rest. There's a freshness that comes from a certain, type, I guess, maybe profile of player. Maybe a guy is more fit or or energy is more of his thing. And, you know, whenever whenever Legette plays for the USA, for example, his uh, his legs make a difference. Whenever Christian Roldan seems to come on, you know, these are MLS players, but when they come on for the USA, they always seem to make a difference. And obviously young Aronson uh, just keeps impressing. Young Sargent always, never you know, never impresses me. So I don't understand why. <laughs> He's uh, in the Premier League, but that's, again, there's people who are a lot smarter about soccer maybe that, that can figure that one out. I don't think Josh Sargent, uh, I don't rate him very highly whatsoever. And the, again, the fact that he came on and not uh, peppy against Canada was a relief to me because <laughs> I was like, okay, like we're okay. Here. Yeah. I, to me, I was okay when that happened. So, I don't know.
1: And Pepe, particularly being in the form he's in, I mean, I, I don't know if Ricardo Pepe is going to be, you know, a, a game breaker, a guy that's going to score big goals all the time. But right now, he's playing really well and just scoring goals, which is what, you know, you want that form goal scorer in qualifying. They don't need to be great all the time, but if they're just that guy yeah. for a few months... I mean, look at the Gold Cup. I mean, Carlo Corzine wasn't the world beater, but boy, he was on fire for a one month in 2000 yeah. with the Gold Cup. And, you know, that's what Canada needs. They need the guy who's in form. So, yeah, if that's Ricardo Pepe, then you might as well try and ride him while he's here.
0: Yeah, and Carlo Corzine, uh, his son played uh, in the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League uh uh, last year or two years ago, whatever it was. And so I got to know him actually a little bit. And, uh, so I'll tell him that he got a shout out on, uh, on our <laughs> podcast. And I'm sure he'll be tickled by that. I think he's, you know, kind of involved a little bit media wise, actually with the Vancouver Whitecaps out there. He was on the radio, I think, but, uh, Anyways, that's this is that that's a very, uh, very, very wide tangent. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, so, you know, let's go back to Canada here. You know, Mexico tied Panama, Costa Rica tied Jamaica. We can talk about those, but uh, we'll see what the time is like a little bit later. But I want to go back to this, this Canadian window in its summation. And, um, you know, five points is uh, you know the the word that was used on a podcast recently i heard about the american window was that it was quote acceptable uh i guess what word would you use to say five points for canada in this window given that we have especially given that we had two home games
1: yeah acceptable is not a not a bad word it's uh it's passable um it, it 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 sets us up um it's a foundation i guess is a good way to put it it's uh at the start we're in, in the thick of it We're in, we're in okay shape. Um, I think kind of how I look at it is, you know, you're five points right now. If the next window we win our home match and lose the two road matches, we're on eight points um, after six and you're a little bit behind. If they can win the home match and get a draw on the road, now you're at nine. Now you're kind of right almost on track. You're right on the cusp of being on track for what you want to do. Um, so that's not that, you know. It's picking up four points in the next window is, is achievable. And if they can do that, then they're they're basically on path. So this hasn't put us behind. Uh leaves us with a little bit more work to do next window than maybe we had hoped. Because if you're you know, if you're sitting on seven, if you'd beaten we beaten Honduras. Now you win just the home match, you're still ahead of schedule. And so now we're you know needing to do a little bit of work on the road to get back onto being on track. Um, because you know, I talked a little bit about 23 as being a target. So basically, you know, if they if they can pick up that four points next window, that puts you in nine. And then the last match sort of the first half is that home match Costa Rica and so you win that match now you're on 12 so you're at the halfway mark you're ahead of ahead of schedule so um Mm -hmm. five gets you kind of where you want to be close so that's not a bad place to be there's certainly a lot of teams that would change thoughts with us but um obviously need to win the whole match next uh next cycle and I mean it'd be fantastic to pick up a road win um and Jamaica's, I mean, right now it's trending poorly, but still a bit of an X factor. We're not sure what we're going to get, but obviously going down there, it's going to be tricky. It's not going to be an easy match by any means, but after that Panama result with the 3-0 win in Jamaica, you think well, maybe that's a place where we can get a road win that we really could use. So, making mm-hmm. um, a point in the Aztecs, would be fantastic, but uh, uh, breath is not being held in my quarters. <laughs> for that one, but, uh, he, he, you know, we'll see how things go. We played them very close, uh, in front of a hostile environment, uh, at the gold cup. So yeah. I don't expect us to be played off the market as Texas, but it's still a very difficult place to try and get a result.
0: Yeah. As far as I understand it. So for those that don't know the next, uh, window, October 7th, 10th and 13th, uh, the seventh in Mexico city, uh, the tenth in Kingston, Jamaica, uh, and then October the thirteenth back in Toronto uh, uh, against Panama. And uh, I think, and tell me if I'm wrong about the October seventeenth, but I think that Concacaf has ruled that the Mexicans only had to play that uh, pl- play play one game, not two, in front of closed doors. Is, is that correct? That there will be Mexican fans on October seventh. Well, it's correct that that
1: um punishment has been reduced to one match. That punishment is from like I think it's the Olympic qualifying. So there's been multiple instances where matches have been halted even right. since then, and there's been no punishment. So I was sort of waiting to see if okay, you, you've been a two match fan with no fans, and then it keeps happening and things were thrown in the nation's final and they had to stop that, they had to stop gold cup matches at least one if mm-hmm. not two I don't recall necessarily but
0: yeah it was two so well definitely against Canada
1: yeah for sure um, so will there be further punishment for that I mean the cynics says Indy says probably not at this point because we haven't heard anything yet but um, yeah so yeah as far as we know there'll be fans there which um, one of the side things about the whole um Atmosphere and the the uh, El Salvador El Salvador crowd from uh, from last night is, I mean, it just provided more atmosphere. Like the the energy level from the stadium fans was higher having that many opposition fans there. So, mm-hmm. um, I think that you know, if you told the Canadians that you'd rather play in an empty stadium or actually have a full stadium, have that that excitement, that energy, that experience of playing the Aztec with people there, they might take fans. To be honest, we've all played enough matches in the last year and a bit without people in the stadium. I think. Hmm. Even if Mexico really does serve to be punished for this ongoing problem, which um, there's a lot of debate about the severity of what's being said and what the real meaning is and the culture behind it and all sorts of things. I certainly feel like it's inappropriate and needs to be stopped out. But at the end of the day, it's clear that it's meant to be um, eradicated with severe punishments and the punishments just aren't being followed through upon, so um, mm-hmm. that's a little disappointing. So you um, mm-hmm. hope that there'd be actual punishments at some point, but if they're not going to punish them, um, I'm not too upset. There's going to be fans there if that's how it plays out. It's uh, it's always an mm-hmm. interesting experience playing a big match at the uh, FIOS. Okay.
0: Yeah, and you know Canada has, you know, hopefully they'll have Alfonso Davies back. Uh, you know, Jonathan David, you'd think would be there, you, you know, Kyle Larin and Atiba and whomever, you know, uh, even maybe Scotty Arfield um, maybe comes back in. And these are guys that have played in some real hostile environments. I mean, you think about playing in Turkey for uh, Kyle Larin and Atiba, you know, anytime Besiktas, Fenerbahce and Galatasaray play each other in Istanbul, it's just, it's just crazy. Like, they just they just lose their minds in, in Istanbul for for those for those derbies. So, um, you know, I don't think those guys will be scared in our field, obviously, a little bit of experience with the old firm, with Rangers and Celtic, And so, you know, the list kind of goes on um of guys that are kind of, you know, used to hostile environments. On top of that, you throw in the MLS guys, the TFC guys, you know, Osorio and whatnot, who <clears throat> not only have. Mm-hmm. Uh, have been in hostile environments, but they've been in Azteca as a hostile environment in terms of, uh, and Mexico in general, in terms of their time at the, the, the CONCACAF Champions League. And, um, you know, whatever you say about that, it definitely gives those guys good experiences in, in those crazy spaces. So, um, you know, they, they're professionals. And and uh, as far as it goes, you know, uh, certainly Mexico's squad is unmatched and unrivaled talent-wise in CONCACAF. And we'll get into previewing that window little bit closer to the date but uh uh, you know this canadian team i think showed that they can uh compete with with that mexican squad uh at the gold cup as you know it was a good mexican team and um you know canada was missing uh, plenty of key guys so uh, we'll see how that goes uh and then i guess uh just a, a last question for you and just sort of for fun on a personal basis you know how much fun uh girly did you have you know back being back around voyagers being back with fans being back in the stadium you know i was only there for one of the games um, but i'm sure you watched it in a pub too the, the usa game or maybe you watched it alone i guess you did um but uh, just just to be in the atmosphere and to be in the space and to to see in person not through a screen uh, this generation of the men's national team that has us, you know, genuinely excited and genuinely expectant. I think of making Qatar 2022.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's. I hadn't been to a live sporting event uh, since the Canadian Premier League final in, in sort of fall of 2019, which is a long time ago now. When I started thinking about it, so just to be able to go to a match was fantastic. To be able to being the South and the BMO is always a great experience It was really fun obviously there's lots of people that I know and to get a chance to see and people I hadn't seen in a long time so that whole social aspect was fantastic um even on the players I you know talk about Borian's comments a little bit but uh you know he's always so enthusiastic and energetic and you get the fans going and he he ran into the slide in front of the sort of in front of 113 after both first two goals mm-hmm. and kind of pumped his fist and slid for like 10 yards of the grass. It was fantastic. Awesome. Um, and just little things like that, that you just, you, you don't get on TV and this is what was the connection that you feel with the team. Um, you know, they also came over and grabbed the, the drum and did the Viking clap and everyone joined in and, you know, just jumping around and, you know, doing the, the you know, um, the, the, the Reds on the victory song and we're bouncing and just, yeah, it was just some of those experiences are really fun. And I mean, on one hand, you count the number of times we've watched Canada and they've had basically a three nothing lead after half an hour. And you're just sort of watching the last 30 minutes and having fun and enjoying the match, not worried about the blowing it or anything else. It just felt really comfortable, which is almost unheard of, especially for uh, a fairly mm-hmm. significant world cup qualifiers. So, Yeah, it was, uh, it was great. Uh, If anyone listening hasn't had a chance to go or anything, by all means, try and make it a priority. If you can go, it sounds like after this, there's going to be some games in the West, which will be fantastic. Obviously the Panama games in Toronto. uh, I won't be here for that, but I am looking like I'll be uh, be at the the next window in November. So looking forward to seeing other faces uh, in different parts of the country that I haven't seen. So. But uh, it's an exciting time. We've waited a long, long time for uh, (coughs) the national team to get to this point and get back to this level of qualifying. As you say, we're uh, we're at this point in the shell where where the point 98 went, we were basically pretty much DOA after the three matches, whereas here we're uh, sitting second and there's tons of work left to do and some big points to pick up and there's gonna be a lot of battles left. And that last window is looking like it's gonna be massive, but that's far down the line. But right now, we're, we're on pace to qualify, which is which is fantastic. So hopefully, we keep momentum going and looking forward to uh, to uh, um, yeah, being part of it and being around the atmosphere.
0: Yeah, and somewhere, Alistair Johnston is still probably playing for Canada on a field.
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> you know, Herdman won't let him get off. No, Alistair, stay out. Get back out there, Alistair. No, you can't go to Nashville. You gotta stay on the field in your Canada jersey. No, I'm just kidding. Alistair just huge minutes, huge three games. Gotta give him a shout out. Also mm-hmm. got a shout out the uh, Blue Jays. Hopefully that, you know, when we're we produce this, they're only half a game back of the playoff. Didn't think I'd ever say that. But anyways, you were gonna re- re- respond about Alistair.
1: I was gonna say Alistair, you know, had a two or three really nice 1v1 moments. Uh just right in the corner in front of us and just his body positioning, his ability just to get the whole half yard to get some positioning and get a leg in the right spot and hold people off. It's quite impressive. It's, uh I mean, he's so tenacious. I mean, you he love the kid and uh it's great to see him rewarded and play the way he's played. Uh, I will say that if they're going to keep playing him and Larea as often as they are and then looking at bringing Buchanan in fairly regularly, uh wouldn't mind seeing Zachary Yard get pulled up next window because he really could use another body on the right wing there. Maybe give some of these guys a little bit of a rest if things are, are going a certain way. It would have been nice to have them a little bit of a break. Alistair's got to be exhausted at this point. So he certainly doesn't get energetic most of the time.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm not going to say I know Nashville SC's uh, schedule offhand. Oh, okay. Let's see. They play on Saturday. So <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Most of those God. guys are supposed to play Saturday, right? Yeah. And, uh, for Lille sure. plays uh, tomorrow.
1: Oh so in Korea whatever. David will get much of a Oh Leal, sorry. Yeah. Lille, yeah, no. In France that's supposed to play Friday as far as I know. So Yeah. Uh, maybe David will get a bit of a round on of off the bench, but that's a lot to ask for Johnny David.
0: Yeah, and and the the news out of uh out of out of Bayern too, and they have a big one against RB Leipzig on on Saturday also. Uh, the news is that uh is fine and he's probably going to be in the lineup against RB, Le- RB Leipzig too. So that, that's what I read. Um, so I mean, I we'll see. I mean, we talked about this
1: last time out. He, he looks quite tired at half, yeah. uh, US back, and it's hard to pull him off. He's such a game changer. Knowing him, he doesn't want to come off, but. <coughs> You know, he came in with a bit of an injury and then there you know, you gotta be a little bit careful with that. I think we really could have used a few more you know Walter Spoon and Piet barely played and those guys contribute; They absolutely can fit in and do a role to use them too. So you know Stafio basically played the whole the whole three matches, not quite that he was close and I mean, Atiba uh, logged a lot more minutes than I thought. He, you know, played almost probably sixty more than I expected. So that's that's a lot to consider. I'd love to see uh, Arfield back in the fold. That's another option where you could throw him out there, and I don't think you lose anything. You know, yeah. you give give a guy like Atiba a day off, and it's Arfield instead. I, you know, that's not a you know. I don't think that's a big downgrade. Obviously, Atiba's great, but you know, those are yeah. guys that are similar to class. So.
0: Yeah. Another guy maybe. that
1: doesn't get talked about a lot is Junior Hoyland had a really good three-match run. And the yeah. guy that was maybe, a, you know, going to the summer, I thought was maybe in the fringe of the squad. I was thinking, you know, he's not, he's out of favor of his club. He can have a club in the fall. You know, he's, we got these young guys kind of pushing him, like Kobe Andy, and Miller, but, boy, well, he's playing well. And not flashy, but just doing a really good job and being creative and keeping the ball moving. You know, he looks yeah. like he's ready to, you know, at least start every at least a match every, every window right now with squad rotation. So yeah, great. we, we could use that depth.
0: Yeah. I think, I think junior is the type of player that is something a little different for Canada. And I know we're going a little longer here, but to, on the junior topic, uh, I think he does something a little different. He doesn't need to get in behind. He he, he can play against low blocks. He can play, uh, you know, in space, you know, he'll make the right decision. He can deliver a set piece ball, uh, you know, so, you know, I think he, he does, it, it works so much better to have a guy like him, uh, opposite to a guy like Tejan or Alfonso, because those guys love to, you know, get in behind, get to the byline and push. Whereas, you know, Hoylet can be, you know, a quasi 10, maybe like sort of an inverted winger get inside a little bit more and make a, make a pass, make a play. Um, as opposed to you know all out all the time he's a little bit more savvy mm-hmm. a little more crafty that way so i know i i think he to me he's he's higher on the on the depth chart and um and i, and I was disappointed in it and i don't dig- disagree with you that uh you know he was falling a little bit out of favor but i think he he adds something in sort of in the absence of what you could call quote unquote a number 10 um that uh, that maybe could be, is really helpful for Canada. I know Canada doesn't really set up with a quote unquote number ten, yeah. but um he gets into those spaces that that other guys maybe don't. So mm-hmm. um you know I, I think that's that's something that John Herman will certainly think about and the fact that he was effective and the fact that he's got a team in reading now to play um getting get minutes, even though he looked great without uh, you know having a team <laughs> unattached FC provided a very good player for Canada before he was signed by Reading. so there you go anyways we gotta we gotta end this but uh matt uh thank you for joining me in this window and uh, we will be in touch about the next podcast and get home safe thank you very much